You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. For want of a nail, the kingdom was lost. Is this what happened in 1863 when Jeb Stuart's cavalry failed to arrive at Gettysburg in time to help Robert E. Lee's Confederate Army? Or was it Stuart's disobedience of Lee's orders? Or Lee's orders themselves? Why wasn't Lee where he was supposed to be? Or, in fact, was he? These are among the many questions we'll ask our guest today, J. David Petruzzi, co-author of Plenty of Blame to Go Around, Jeb Stuart's Controversial Ride to Gettysburg. Join us on Civil War Talk Radio. Hi, Tom Bodet from Motel 6 with a word for business travelers. Seems business has its own language these days, full of buzzwords like buzzword or net-net. And after a day spent whiteboarding a matrix of action items and deliverables, it's nice to know you can always outsource your accommodation needs to the nearest Motel 6. You'll get a clean, comfortable room for the lowest price, net-net, of any national chain, plus data ports and free local calls. In case you tabled your discussion and need to reconvene offline. So you can think of Motel 6 as your total business travel solution provider, vis-a-vis cost-effective lodging alternatives for Q1 through Q4, I think. Just call 1-800-4-MOTEL-6 or visit motel6.com. I'm Tom Bodet for Motel 6, and we'll maintain the lighting device in its current state of illumination for you. Motel 6 and a core hotel. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. Jerry Prokopovich coming to you this week from the home office in Greenville, North Carolina, on a blustery autumn day in 2006 not using the facilities of East Carolina University, so I suppose I could thumb my nose at them and not go through the legal disclaimer, but just in case nothing I say relates to them and vice versa. Instead, talking to you from home today because when this show is over, it's time to jump into the minivan and dash off to a soccer tournament with the Greenville Stars U12 girls soccer team, uh, a team that I coach when I'm not doing this program, the other six and a half days of the week, it seems, sometimes. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Uh, There are many things we could talk about. Last week, uh, talking to uh, Dr. John Rahm, the director of the Philadelphia Civil War Museum, he mentioned in passing uh, a reference to Ohio State University, and I said nothing because I knew the day after that show would be recorded, Michigan would play Ohio State. That's my alma mater and his in the Titanic struggle, and I thought it best not to make any predictions. Good thing I didn't. My team didn't win. But the debate over who should play for the college national championship continues. And in some ways, the character of the debate uh, reminded me of uh, much of what we're going to talk about today, the debate over Jeb Stewart's activities in 1863 when he led his Confederate cavalry north as part of Lee's invasion of Maryland and Pennsylvania.
Pennsylvania in the summer of that year. Uh, it's a story listeners to the show are certainly well familiar with, but exactly what Stewart was doing and uh, how it ought to be regarded has never been examined in quite the same detail as it has by our guest this week, uh, J. David Petruzzi. Uh, J.D., are you there? Here, Jerry. Great talking with you. Yeah, good to talk to you. And you do go by J.D., is that not too J. familiar? J.D., right. All right, that's that's good to know. Um, well, you and Eric Wittenberg, who has been a guest on this show, have collaborated to write a really interesting book uh, on what Jeb Stewart was up to. But let me start by asking you what uh, what you were up to. Uh, this is not your day job, I gather. Uh, correct, correct. Uh, what, what do you do when you're not doing Civil War? Well, I'm, uh, by career, I'm an insurance broker in northwestern Pennsylvania. And that... Um, uh, one of the nice things about being self-employed, though, is it does leave me, you know, that time during the evenings uh, and weekends. And, of course, having a very patient wife <laughs> uh, leaves me enough time to do the research and the study and the writing and so forth. So um, a lot of it goes in spurts. And when there is a project such as this book on Stuart's Ride, uh, luckily, for the most part, I can devote, um, you know, enough weeks or months or whatever in a, in a chunk of time uh, in order to work on it and finish it. So, and that's, uh, you can imagine, um, Eric and I started really seriously writing the books, uh, the book about a year and a half or so before its completion. So, um, that was, you know, quite a bit of time devoted to it, um, until we got it completed, I believe, in November of last year. Uh, so, you know, your co-author is Eric Wittenberg. How, uh, have you known him for a long time? I have. In fact, we, we met online um, in a, a, a very old, and I think it's defunct now, uh, a Civil War, like a chat board uh, type thing, one of the very early versions of it. Um, and I believe that goes back probably 10 or 11 years ago. Uh, we were you know, both just chatting away with some other folks, um, and we, we kind of recognized in each other just because of some of our comments that we had a, a common interest in Civil War cavalry. Um, right before talking with Eric online, I had purchased his first book, which was Gettysburg's uh, Forgotten Cavalry Actions. I think that came out in 96, 96 or 98, so that'll, that'll give you an idea of the timing. And uh, when he told me who he was, of course, I recognized you know, the name right away, and we just got to talking. I had mentioned, and I know you'll, you'll probably want to talk about this a little bit later, I would mentioned to him that I was just starting a uh, website devoted to Civil War Cavalry, and General John Buford at uh, Gettysburg specifically. Um, and we, you know, just over the ensuing months, uh, talked on the phone, you know, chatting online, kind of sharing research and, and ideas and writing interests and so forth, and kind of took off from there. Um, in fact, when I got married three and a half years ago, Eric was one of my uh, groomsmen in my wedding. So uh, a, a successful partnership as well, hopefully a successful uh, wedding and, and yes. <laughs> all that follows. The uh, This book looks... At, at the campaign, uh, it's divided in several sections. You talk about the campaign in detail and then about the controversies that follow, and, and we'll hold that for a minute. Uh, but I was interested to start with uh, the introduction by uh, Mark Grimsley, uh, another former guest on the show, uh, right. professor at Ohio State University. Dang, there's the Buckeyes again. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, His introduction makes it, well, uh, tell me what you thought of his introduction. Well, um, I, I, I really, you know, when, when we first received it, uh, because it was done by email, um, 
I, I was, you know, being new to this, being a new writer now, the past few years I've had articles published in Civil War magazines, but this was my first book. Um, to have, you know, such a well-respected academic such as Mark specifically and very definitively pick out the things that we did in the book and to praise them, um, you know, it, it means so much to a writer, and especially, uh, I'm sure, more so when, you know, this is a, a first project, as this was for me. Um, it, you know, I really, with all the accolades that the book has received and the, the positive comments and so forth, um, you know, knowing what I know about Mark's work, his attention to detail, uh, where, you know, basically where he comes from, you know, more of this, uh, and I'm an amateur, you know, as, as is Eric, uh, even though he has, you know, 12 or 14 books under his belt, uh, to get those kind of accolades and praise and so forth meant a, a great deal. It really did. Um, and I, I really appreciated the fact that he picked out a few things that we had really intended um, to, to make more of in the book than really has been discussed before when talking about Stuart's ride. For instance, the, the condition of the horses. If you remember in his introduction, he talks about, you know, and you almost have to, uh, when reading a historical book, of course, trying to place yourself back in those times or that era in order to give you the atmosphere to, um, you know, to read about those things and kind of place yourself in the soldiers, uh, you know, right in their boots and, and what they're experiencing. But when Mark brought out the fact that, you know, there were so many horses back then as far as the, um, uh, the human population and, you know, such an everyday thing, the things that happened to the horses, because a cavalryman is really two entities, man and horse, um, were, were very regular everyday occurrences to them. We nowadays get very detached from those things. Well, we, that, that was a good point. He, I think he said there were something like one horse for every four people in the country. Right, right. And uh, today, if you see a horse driving through the countryside, you, kids, look, there's a horse. Exactly. Uh, it's exactly. a big deal. And, of course, the people then knew how to deal with horses, how to, to handle them. Well, Mark also said some interesting things, I thought, um, dealing with this intersection between people who do history professionally, as he does, and uh, people for whom it is uh, an avocation, something that they're very interested in and that they pursue, but are not necessarily uh, uh, trained academic historians. Right. A lot of academic historians, and I, I'm sure you've, I, I hope you haven't, but I'm sure you have encountered this, uh, uh, are not very kind to amateurs. Sure. And, and will sometimes be uh, dismissive or, or uh, arrogant towards them. And... Mark seemed to be writing, it, it struck me, to both audiences at the same time. He acknowledges that what you and Eric do in this book is, is very traditional military history. It's about the battles, the campaigns, as military events. Uh, it does not discuss the kinds of social aspects of military experience that most modern professional historians are more interested in, even though right. most of their readers are not. Um, and and he he shows an awareness of that line as if letting people on the the academic side know, look, I know this isn't what you guys are used to, but these guys are really good at what they're doing. Uh, it, it, I thought it was a very interesting way of straddling the the boundaries of that that difficult intersection. Well, and I appreciate that, and I I think um, I, I recognize the very same thing. And in fact, Eric and I talked about that, um, and. Just as you say, this is you know somebody coming from that academic aspect who is recognizing 
really, well, I, I guess to put it this way, um, a book or an article is going to reflect, um, you know, who the who the writer really is, uh, and the way that the book is written, or the way is, is exactly the way that Eric and I talk, or you know, present tours on these things, or talks or seminars and so forth. Uh, we really want to put the people in the cavalryman's boots, you know, right in the saddle with them. And I think that's one of the reasons why you'll find, you know, that there there are so many quotes in the book. And I, I do realize um, some people like that and some don't. Um, you know, re- relying so heavily on quotations, um, you know, can sometimes bog down a book. Or if you if you use them judiciously um, and use them correctly, and I hope we did that, uh, you know, it, it, it sort of makes um, – uh, I think a little bit easier to understand exactly what the soldiers are talking about, what they're experiencing, what their emotions are, because um, we, we try to judiciously use those quotes that get that across. And, and I think Mark kind of recognized that because he he did write in there that you know this this isn't that sort of social and political military history maybe a lot of people um, are used to. And then he goes on to say that's not such a bad thing, and that's one thing that really made me feel good because I uh, I, I saw that he recognized. You know, really, what we were trying to do, um, and I think too, maybe that's part of the reason why there's a whole, um, you know, large large group of people or different groups of people who have told me they really enjoy the book. I've heard from several people who have never read a military or history book in their life, and have read this and they enjoyed it simply because of the soldier stories that are in it, um, the little anecdotes, the you know, the the personal um, reminiscences. That we have in there, uh, and you know, not so much the battles or the skirmishes and so forth, but the interaction that many of these Southern soldiers have, for instance, with Northern citizens when they get into uh, Pennsylvania and even into Maryland. And I think people really enjoy that. So it touches many different categories of people: those those who are um, already familiar with military history or history in general, and those who have picked this book up and really read this type of thing for the, for the very first time. Well, I'm, I'm going to make a wager that uh, our audience today consists of people who have read not one but many books on the subject before, not necessarily Stuart's Ride, but on the war uh, in general, and that that uh, uh, and that they too will enjoy this book certainly. Right. But from that point of view, let's talk about the campaign itself um, without uh, uh, at the be it starts with. Lee and Hooker having two armies facing one another in central Virginia. Lee decides to invade the north. His infantry marches up through the Shenandoah Valley mm-hmm. uh, on the west side of the mountains, leaving some cavalry in the gaps to keep the Federals from finding out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then he, at some point, gives an order to Jeb Stewart to do something. Mm-hmm. And here's where it all begins. Uh, c- can you briefly talk about what Lee wanted Stuart to do? Well, and and this is part of the controversy, uh, really where it starts. Many many people look at the controversy of Stuart's ride and start the debate, you know, right on, say, July 2nd when he arrives or uh, after the battle itself. The true controversy of the ride really goes back to that period that you're talking about um, in mid-late June when Lee issues not one order, but possibly as many as three orders to Stuart. 
uh, about what when you say possibly do we not have the text of all three orders uh, no in fact there's there's one and i'm uh, i'm trying to recall i believe it's marshall um mm-hmm. who makes a claim that possibly a third order i think in his um in his uh, reminiscences, he writes... Marshall leads military secretary. Correct, secretary. right. Yeah. Um, that he says there was possi- possibly a third order, uh, although uh, we don't have the text of that, unfortunately, You know, if it, uh, if it did indeed exist. But we do have those two orders, which are somewhat contradictory. And then when you add into the mix um, General James Longstreet's uh, orders then to Stewart, once he reads what Lee's orders are, um, you can you can see the contradiction between the three. All all three say a slightly different thing. And slightly now, different. Longstreet commands one of the three infantry corps of the army. Right. Is how is it that he's giving orders to Stuart? Well, um, it, it, it appears, and if you read Longstreet's book, his his personal memoirs, um, it appears that you know he kind of implies the claim that Stuart is under Longstreet's orders. Hmm. And so that's, that, that gets a little bit interesting. Um, later on in life, though, in some of his other writings, he backs off that somewhat when he gets embroiled in the Stuart and Gettysburg controversy, um, which is a whole other book in itself, <laughs> which is one that really, really needs a good treatment, too. Um, but, you know, and, and many people will make the claim that because of uh, Stuart's, you know, let's say affinity for uh, bending his orders, you know, or taking the full full advantage of any ambiguity and so forth. Um, that's that's really for me where the controversy is born. Well, let's just for those who are maybe not as uh, deeply familiar with the campaign, the the, the choices in the controversy here mm-hmm. are and, and correct me as I try to summarize what you've written are that Stuart can either go with the army north into Maryland and then Pennsylvania by marching on a parallel path between Lee's army and Hooker's army. Right. Or they can detach from Lee's army, go around Hooker's army, and go north on the far side of the Union army, between the Union army and Washington, D.C., across the Potomac somewhere over there, and then finish the, the circle and meet Lee's army in Pennsylvania. Right, and it's important to remember that Lee uses that phraseology, if you can pass around the army without hindrance. And so there's all that debate about, you know, what type of hindrance did Stuart really um, experience any hindrance, uh, for instance. And, and to put another, um, uh, another aspect into this, John Mosby, Colonel John Mosby, uh, and, and this is early, you know, in his career. This is, this is before he becomes, you know, the, the famous independent guerrilla, uh, was one of Stuart's scouts. And Mosby was greatly responsible for mapping out, after scouting the different positions of the Union Army, some of the different options that Stuart could use to go north. Um, when uh, Stuart runs into Hancock's Corps, and I'm drawing a little blank on the date here, I'm trying to remember if it was the 26th or the 27th, um, you know, and sees, him, uh, sees Hancock in front of him and then, in fact, has a little skirmish and there's some artillery play and so forth. Was that the type of hindrance, for instance, that Lee was talking about? Um, that took up the better part of the day. And in fact, when Mosby was trying then to reconnect with Stewart, heard that fighting up ahead, and Mosby apparently assumed that, you know, that's all the hindrance that, that Stewart really needs. He's going to turn back. Well, of course, Stewart didn't. Well, we'll take a break here. We'll pick up this thread. What, uh, what was Stewart uh, doing at that point? What was he supposed to be doing? Our guest today is J.D. Petruzzi, co-author of Plenty of Blame to Go Around, an analysis of 
Jeb Stewart's controversial ride to Gettysburg. We'll be back in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. 